I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Namritha Patel is an Indian-American writer who lives in Boston. Her writing examines diaspora, dual cultural identity among Indian Americans, and explores this dynamic while also touching on both the families we're born with and those we choose. Namritha has lived in India, Spokane, London, and New York City. She's been writing for most of her adult life and loves creating characters who are relatable and aspirational. Her heroines range from quiet to kick-ass. Her heroes are swoon-worthy, if a little flawed. Her debut novel is The Candid Life of Mina Dave. Welcome, Namritha. Thank you. I'm so excited. Tell us all about your debut, The Candid Life of Mina Dave. Oh my God. I'm so excited to talk about this book. It's about a community and connection and finding home, a photojournalist who mysteriously inherits an apartment in Boston and doesn't know why, but kind of knows why. She's a nomad and she has built a life around her of just independence and not really relying on people. And when she finds herself in this apartment building full of like aunties and neighbors, she's forced into this sort of community. She starts discovering the things that she's been missing, but also the identity that she's never really explored. And it's just been an incredible way to talk about some of the things that we were all going through at the time that I wrote it, which is this sense of isolation when the world stopped and what community means and just around like the found family versus the family you have. It's really a book about belonging. When did you know you were a writer? You know what? It's actually a very specific moment now that I think about it. It was the summer between my junior and senior year in college. And I was doing study abroad in London and we were given this assignment to do like a observational piece about something and you had 15 minutes to write. And I wrote this like fully flushed out narrative about all of the things that I was seeing and the people and I made their backstories. I'd been doing it in my head forever, but it never really put it down on paper. And then all of a sudden I did. And it felt so like, I don't know, I was so proud of it. You know, it wasn't great. It was just a, like a composition class, but It just felt so great. And then, you know, I put it away for a while because of course I was an advertising major and I, you know, I was on track and I had a path and I'm like, but I really want to do this publishing thing. And then I learned about publishing and there wasn't a lot of representation for the types of stories that I wanted to tell. And so I didn't really give it much fuel until I started reading like Chitra Divakaruni and other Indian American authors that I came across like very randomly and rarely And I thought, well, why not me, right? And so I started taking classes. The other moment was when I actually was like, no, I want to do this as a career, as like a serious endeavor towards something, ideally towards like having other people read my stories, right? And that was about eight years ago. And I was like, no, I have a career now. I have all the tools. I've taken the classes Now I'm going to pursue the path. And I wanted to pursue a traditional path with an agent and a publisher and all of that. So it's been like peaks and valleys, but Mm -hmm. I would say like the moment I knew when I was going to be a writer and then the moment when I started taking it seriously, (laughs) we're very far apart. I went on submission with a few other books and nothing happened of them. About two years ago, right at the start of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. I started thinking about the story 
and this character and then sort of, you know, kept working on it until it turned into something. And then Lake Union said, yes, and here we are. What clicked into place between the others than this? I think there's a couple of things. One is the market, right? That's always going to be the big thing that's like, you don't know what's going to hit and you don't know what's in people's minds when they want it. Particularly when you want to pursue a traditional path, it's like, all right, I am at the mercy of people's interests, the marketability of the story, the concept, all of those things, right? As a writer, what clicked for me was I just found a sense of comfort in the story I was telling. I know you're a writer, so you know sometimes when like the story is on the struggle bus or you're trying to force Mm -hmm. a narrative, you're trying to force something. And the other books that I wrote, they're good enough to go on submission with, right? Like at least my agent said (laughs) says so, and I trust her completely. But in writing those, they felt more like I was writing towards something or for something that was a more of like a professional endeavor versus a creative mm-hmm. endeavor. And I think this one, because I just like gave myself the freedom to just stop and say, yes, you're still on this path. Everything's fine, but just figure out what the story is and you have the time and there's no pressure. And that's when it really felt like it wasn't easy, but it was comfortable. If that makes sense, you know, the voice, you know, the character, even when the characters run away from you, like, you know how to get them back. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, I am not going to force anything here. It just sort of starts coming through. So that's when it really clicked. And I think it can be seen in the writing when a writer is sort of comfortable in the story versus like the story is beyond the skill. But it reads like that. If you're on the other side of it, you can tell when somebody writes a book that they were not into, you can tell when you read it, you're like, you know, they were not having a good time. You can tell when they are having a blast. Yeah. And that's why for me, it was a part blast, but part like, yeah, it's a love letter to Boston. I really love the city. It's the type of story I wanted to tell. I wanted to explore third, fourth diaspora, you know, of people who came here. It was a nugget of history I didn't know about my own culture. So all of those things sort of came together at the right time, I suppose. Is it called an overnight success if it takes you this long? <laughs> time is relative. I don't know. I mean, there are some people that have been spending all their life trying to get one book published. I was talking to Annie Hartnett mm. and she just published Unlikely Animals. Mm-hmm. It's a great story. And she was saying how when she wrote Rabbit Cake, she thought she was going to feel really good about being this published author and that there's this even bigger satisfaction when you're writing a story mm-hmm. where there's a hole in the story. You don't know what's missing, mm-hmm. but when you find it, that's where the real celebration is. It's like, wow, did you run into that with this book? Yeah, definitely. I don't want to use the pun. It's better than sex, but <laughs> it can be. It's the thing you didn't even know you were looking for, right? It's that place where for me, it was the aunties. Like, I didn't know that I was looking for them. I didn't know like that they were going to represent this community or belonging because they were each in their own way. So like stubbornly strong and independent. I found like all of a sudden there was this nurturing side to them that I didn't even know I was writing until I saw how it affected Mina and the character. And all of a sudden I was like, Wait, I was trying to think about the mother figure and the loss of a mother. And I didn't realize I wasn't really looking at multiple people serving in that function versus Mm -hmm. just this one thing. And that was in like the third draft. (laughs) That was when I was like, oh, now I get it. And it felt so like a big relief because I was like, huh, I didn't even know I was telling the story until it came 
this way. So I understand what Annie's talking about. Yeah. It's like the red carpet rolls out before you and you go, I didn't even know I was invited to walk inside. There's this red carpet. It's it's (laughs) great. Well, and then you want to pat yourself on the back and go, look what you did, brain, like you. And you'll be interviewed in a couple months and they'll say, so what inspired that? And you'll be going, wish I knew the subconscious, the things that come out in writing. And you go, where did that come from? Couldn't tell you. Things that'll really strike a chord with a reader. So fun. It is so so fun. And you don't know what you know until it comes out on paper sometimes because you look at something and you're like, where did that come from? This is why we all need to read a lot because things Mm -hmm. stick that we don't know that's stuck. And I read a lot of nonfiction, particularly if I'm working on a book, I prefer nonfiction. Mm -hmm. And so I have like these random things that'll just come out during the course of writing something. And I'm like, where do I know that from? I have no idea, but it's stuck in your brain. It's like a very gratifying thing. Okay. Don't laugh at me. I'm a big Willie Nelson fan. There's a Willie Nelson song about, all right. (laughs) Something about being an ant. He's talking about, you know, being small, like an ant. And I think writing is a lot like that in that when you are a writer, you realize how insignificant and important you are. Like you have to physically put it on the page and draw the picture, but you also realize you're just kind of a vessel for this. Like it's just kind of happening and you, you either let it or you fight it. And if you fight it, it shows. And those are those books that you can outline to death, but if your heart's not in it, it's not going to Yeah. And it sounds like your heart was in this one. My heart was definitely in that one. (laughs) Before you started writing, what were the novels or movies that made you want to write? You looked at and went, oh, I might want to do that. I read mainstream contemporary Mm -hmm. fiction and nonfiction, right? Reading is a big thing in my family. Like my parents, they're readers were readers. Early on, I thought, oh, I really want to write nonfiction. (laughs) Then I was like, but I'm not deeply interested in any one specific thing. I'm just interested in a lot of things. You know, one of the reasons I didn't pursue a PhD, I'm like, I don't want to spend five years of my life thinking about the history of salt. Like, I (laughs) I love reading about it. And that was a fascinating book. But that is like a very different sort of a project movies and television and all these different narratives. And I just kept feeling like I could do that, but I wanted to write about my stories, not like me personally, but about my community, my Mm -hmm. sort of experience. You know, I started studying a little bit about diaspora in graduate school and how we create identities through consumption and East West is just, you know, just very different in almost opposite in a lot of ways, individual versus collective. And even the narrative form is different, you know, an Eastern narrative form, the heroes and heroines are more passive and action is done to them versus here, the heroes and heroines are more, you have, you know, no passive heroines in our fiction, right? <laughs> go big or go home. <laughs> oh, it's one of the consistent feedbacks I got from the books that didn't sell is too passive. <laughs> Again, I'm a marketer, right? Like you have to understand the market and in an individualistic society, we all migrate towards like what we see or want to see in ourselves. And that is reflective of the society we live in. Anyway, the books I was reading weren't reflective of the society that I was living in. And it wasn't an immigrant experience. I came here when I was eight. So I grew up pretty much American inside my house. I'm Gujarati, but outside of it, 
I pretty much assimilated, you know, my parents' story is the immigrant experience in a way versus mine. And that's what I was reading too. Great books around the immigrant experience, but I'm like, but I'm still missing that. I'm still missing something. And ever since college, I just always dabbled. I wrote like a really bad script for a Seinfeld episode. And I had the <laughs> like gumption to actually mail it to them, not knowing like they can't even open those. Right. Because it, just in case they steal an idea or like something like oh. not even allowed to open that. Who knew? I was just always practicing different things. Angie Thomas spoke at a conference not long after The Hate You Give came out. Mm-hmm. And she talked about how a young black man who I think he was 17 said, I'd never read a full book for pleasure until The Hate You Give came out. Mm-hmm. And she made the comment about, you know, we want to see some version of ourselves in the books that we consume. And if we don't, it's hard to maintain interest. When I was younger, I didn't even question it because you don't, mm-hmm. right? As a kid, you're like, okay, these books are just like Judy Bloom and Ramona Quimby. I live in a white world, so they're all white books. Like that's just what you think, you know. And for me, I was like, well, if I was in India, I'd probably read about our mythology and our stories. So I sort of compartmentalized like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is just what happens in America because of the way our society has been for a long time. Like for most immigrants, like America means white. We're discounting like a huge population. (laughs) And because you also don't see that in the books. I didn't see Latinx characters. I didn't see African-American characters. I didn't see East Asian characters. I just saw white. So I'm like, this is what we are in the history books and everything, right? So I didn't think about it until I was an adult when I was like, there's something missing here. (laughs) We have Bollywood, but I don't see Indian American actors, right? Or we're not represented in music or, you know, I think it was like when MIA? She's a rapper from Sri Lanka. And that was the closest Mm -hmm. we got to someone who was like reflective of your identity. Then there was just in the last 10 years, you know, a lot of representation and then you feel opportunity. So Mm -hmm. when I look at other books by South Asian writers or movies or seeing them on screen or you know, now I even pay attention to like produced by, directed by. And if I see a Patel, I'm like giving him a high five, going like because I can't even imagine. Like, you know, a director for a TV sitcom with the last name Patel. So it's just been, you know, picking at it, picking at it, Mm -hmm. fighting for it, fighting for it. And then publishers and creators seeing an opportunity that these stories can like have value and people will read or buy or watch or all of those things. I will always say there's still not enough, but uh, it's more than what I had when I was in my teenage years or my twenties. Farrah Rashawn yeah. said, Farrah I love she her. <laughs> she was talking about how, when she was growing up, she would go to find a black romance. Yeah. It was in the African-American studies area of a bookstore yeah. or a library. I was first pitching in my, you know, like twenties when I had like all the ego and none of the talent. <laughs> like uh, I even pitched to like, this is your ethnic fiction. This is an ethnic story. This is in the ethnic section of the bookstore. You learn to compartmentalize yourselves until Mm -hmm. like recently when you're like, no, 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 I take space here, right? Under the P section of the general fiction books. My mother is the child of immigrants from Italy, Mm -hmm. but my immigrant story is not 
fresh and it's not like yours. No offense to my Italian family. We've already heard Moonstruck. I mean, we've already heard that story. Oh, Moonstruck, Nicholas Cage, see my oh. hand. <laughs> oh, I so enjoy reading Sonali Dave and Alicia Rye, these stories that we weren't getting before. Yeah. And it's so fresh and fun. And this is what we're supposed to be in America. Everybody has a story. Everyone's is so different, but we're also more similar than different. And that's what I wrote in the author's note. Like there's a commonness to us, right? Just as there is an otherness to us. And when you read our stories, maybe the cultural aspects may be different, but the humanity is still the same. Like Mm -hmm. it is not solidly an Asian Indian American idea to want to belong. It's not, it's not a, you know, ethnic experience to not know what home is. Like everyone is lost at some point. Everyone puts up walls when they've been hurt at some point. And that's what I think a lot of us try to do with our fiction is just to connect at the human level and then add the richness of the cultural pieces and not Mm -hmm. necessarily for like the otherness, but it's like, yeah, I grew up like my parents to this day still have cha at four o'clock. Like that's how I grew up. And that is my way of living. You may have a coffee break at three o'clock. Like that is your way of living. In the fiction, it like sort of gives the richness and texture to the story, but the core of it is still like love or loss or belonging or all of those things. I'm enjoying this ability to read so many different stories and so many different experiences and then still feel connection to them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it's easy to dislike someone or doubt someone or feel threatened by someone when you've never been in their presence or in their home. And I think when authors from different backgrounds invite us into these homes, Mm -hmm. we understand that, you know, pull up a chair, you're welcome. This is what we do. What is next for you? I'm in the process of editing my second book, which is about a perfumer that loses her sense of smell and she has to find a different passion. It's always a collectivist story about family. She's a perfumer in Paris and has to go back to Napa where she grew up. She's trying to figure out whether to tell her big secret about losing her sense of smell because that's an existential crisis for her as well as a Mm -hmm. career crisis. The book really explores like, what is the sense of self, the choices you make for yourself versus choices others make for you. I also wanted to explore a lot about ambition and what that means for us, particularly now on this side of the pandemic, which is still here in my opinion, but on this Mm -hmm. side of it, I would say that a lot of us are examining like, is this the path? And you see the great like migration of jobs and careers and people making different choices. And I don't like to thank Gen Z for a lot of things, but I will thank them for, and younger millennials for this idea of self-care and this, mm-hmm. like, what does it mean for you? Because I didn't grow up with that. So this book really talks about ambition in the context of corporate culture, ambition in the context of expectations from family, and then when do you get to choose for yourself? And what does that look like, particularly in a highly successful family? That's also a book where it's not fighting me. It may fight me later, but right now it's not fighting me. And research in Napa, man, that sounds rough. It was, you know, it really was only so many beautiful scenic vistas. I'm exploring the flora and fauna of Napa, not necessarily wine. I like each of my books to have some sort of point in history of Indian American mm-hmm. immigration. Like over 40% of hotels and motels are owned by, they see Americans, right? 
<laughs> predominantly Gujarati. And the first Desi American that owned a hotel in the U.S. was in San Francisco in the 1940s. Really? And so this story connects back to that. He was an undocumented immigrant who like did some creative business to purchase the hotel. And so that's like sort of that little nugget that I want to include in there and the legacy of that family, all fictional in terms of the legacy. And yeah, I wanted to explore a little bit of that. What are you reading now? I just finished reading Matt Haig's new one, The How to Stop Time, which I really enjoyed. I liked The Midnight Library too. And then I'm just doing some beta reads for some writer friends, which probably can't talk about or shouldn't talk about. (laughs) And the nonfiction one I'm just almost to the end of is Geography of Genius from Eric Weiner. I don't know if you've read any of his Geography of Genius, my favorite. And he... It's an NPR writer who just was like, I'm going to explore the world's happiest places and what makes them happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know. Rain Wilson is doing like the Netflix version of it. So he just wrote Geography of Genius, which is like these clusters of genius moments in time, like Scotland and medicine and China. And there's like this, all these different areas of clusters of genius. His premise is like, if you're surrounded by other creatives or geniuses, is it more conducive to that versus if you're just trying to, you know, swim upstream by yourself as like a lone genius? (laughs) Yeah. When you don't, what is that? You don't ever want to be the smartest man in the room or woman. Refuse to be done, which is a revision craft book that I just picked up. We all need revision help because none of us really like it. (laughs) Like, let me see if this book will help, even though we've read all the craft books. Please, please, please be the magic bullet. Someone is like, oh, can you give me advice on revision? My advice would be like, yeah, just start and finish. Like, just do the work. But if I can't take my own advice, I'm like, let me see if I clean my kitchen cabinet, something will happen. My house is the cleanest when I'm in revisions. <laughs> That's bad. That's when I kind of sit in a chair in my living room and pretend no one else is here. My husband comes home from work and says, what's for dinner? Well, could you at least, you know, call it in and I'll go pick it up? <laughs> sure. DoorDash, baby. Yeah. <laughs> what do you wish you'd known before you began writing? Oh, so many things. But I think <laughs> wished I'd known that the books I was reading weren't perfect in that first draft. Like I didn't know about all of the processes, like the editing, the revising, the editorial. I just thought like, oh, wow, Judy Bloom or Jump Alahari just like put this beautiful prose on the page and was like, the story is just perfect from end to end. And like, I thought my writing had to be that right on the outset. So then you constantly beat yourself up because you're like, no, it's not right. And it's not perfect. And you don't submit anything or you don't do anything because you're constantly comparing yourself to a finished product. Mm -hmm. So that's what I wish I had known because I would have spent a lot less time like trying to be perfect and more time just trying to write better or write well. (laughs) (laughs) I talk about that a lot because until you're in it, you're not exposed to the process. You really believe like the talent is individual, but it really does take a collection of people, right? And it does. What I also didn't realize as part of that was like, you can't see the story for what it is from a reader's perspective until someone else tells you what it is, because you know so much, right? And you're only putting 80,000 words of the 2 million in your head on paper. And so like, you know what your character's favorite drink is if you had to come up with it off the top of your head, but because you know so much of the story, 
how much to communicate is like such a different skill set. The first drafts are like, oh, I just only told like this much got through and everything else was just repetition of the same. And it's what to tell and what not to tell. Yeah. Molly O'Keefe has this great session on tension that I learned Mm -hmm. a lot about. And it was like, when does the reader ask the question and how long do you take until you answer that question for the reader? Like, all of those things are part of the process. And it's just incredible. If you just think about tension, the most tense book I ever read was The Martian. Mm -hmm. And you're just like there the whole time. And it's like, you ask that first question, he doesn't even answer it until the very last page, right? And then all of the other questions in between, they're paced out in such a way that you're like, sometimes you get that immediate answer. And sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to wait three chapters for the answer. And the other thing she was like, if you don't answer a reader's anticipated question, then you didn't do a good job. Cause like, if you set up something that puts a question in the reader's mind, you have to answer it at some point. We talk about stakes, right? Like that's what it is. It's like, okay, I created this scenario or situation. The reader's going to go along. The reader's only going to learn through these words. So they're asking questions all the way along. And even to the point where Molly's like, if they're worried about the color of someone's eyes and you haven't told them, that's what they're going to focus on. Just a very interesting way to look at it from the craft perspective. Somebody were just thinking about writing. What's the advice you'd give them? Finish, finish. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's nothing we want to hear, but honestly, if you start a short story, get to the end. If you start a novel, get to the end. If you start a poem, get to the end, because when you can finish something, you know, you can do it, but until you finish it, you don't know if you can do it. So I was on a flight from Minneapolis to Spokane and Mm -hmm. because I was traveling a lot, I would get upgraded. And on one of the flights, I sat next to Sam Shepard, wonderful human. And he was just so lovely. And he started talking to me and I'm like, oh my God, Sam Shepard is talking to me. And (laughs) I'm like talking about his place. And he asked me if I was a writer and I'm like, well, I dabble, blah, 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 you know, and you're being very like non-committal, but the answer is yes, I want to be, right? (laughs) And he's the one, he's like, well, instead of thinking whether you are or not or questioning yourself, he goes, finish something and then you'll know if you're a writer or not. And that has just stuck with me. And so I always say like, if I can finish, I'm a writer. If I can't finish, I'm not. And I think that's the advice I would give. Sam Stepford's advice, but (laughs) I'm borrowing it. (laughs) It works. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. To learn more, visit nam, that's N-A-M, patel.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.